hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. Might be one of the most dominating performances we'll see all season long. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. Passion going to stroll down and for turn number four. He's going to pull away from Alexander Rossi. Simon Passion sweeps the run. Twin checkers out. He'll go to victory lane. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible race and what an incredible champion we have on our hands. Wow. This is Brick by Brick. Well, welcome back, everybody. It is that time every Wednesday night right here on Dan Patrick Radio, Channel 211. Me and uh, my cohort, A.J. Almendinger, a.k.a. slash tag two bad boys, join you for Brick by Brick. How are you, partner? I'm doing well. It's another week. I know it's Wednesday because <laughs> we're doing the show, but that's about the only reason I know what day it is. <laughs> Isn't it absolutely amazing that you do because of the it's almost like living the movie Groundhog Day. Yeah. Every day is the same because there's not anything to judge it against. Let's jump into uh, both some distressing news and some interesting news. First, the most distressing thing. IndyCar veteran Bob Lazier passed away at the age of 81 after a 22 battle with 22 day battle with COVID-19. I, I got to know the Lazier family because of my 50 plus years at the Indianapolis 500. He was the 1981 Rookie of the Year, and uh, his, uh, his son, Buddy, was a 500 champion. And people tend to forget his other son, Jacques, it was a 2001 IndyCar winner. So the racing heritage of the Lazier family, coupled with uh, their transplant from Minnesota to, to uh, Colorado to open Tivoli Lodge, this is very, very distressing. And um, it, it strikes right at the heart not just of anybody in IndyCar racing, but at the heart of what we're all trying to deal with. Yeah, I mean, and it just shows that as restrictions talk about being loosened a little bit, uh, especially when it comes to sporting events and certain states kind of opening it up, that this is still very serious yeah. and we can't take it lighthearted. Uh, and there's been so many families, uh, so many different people that have been affected by COVID-19, and, and this is still a serious illness and a serious virus that we're having to deal with. So, you know, our prayers and, and thoughts go out to the Lazier family. Another great family of racing tradition, as you just spoke about, Jack. And, yeah, we just we still have to take this very serious. We all want sports and motorsports to come back, but we have to be patient and be very careful about the way we go about it. Another individual that passed away at the at the age of 81 that has direct connections to the history and the legacy of the Indy 500 is Bobby Summers, who was the kingpin uh, for oh so many years for Gene White Firestone and uh, is is someone that I knew along with the uh, the entire Summers family uh, intimately, not only because of the IndyCar connection, but once he left Gene White. He uh, connected with Bob Newton at Hoosier Tire and started Hoosier Tire East and was the supplier for the Northeast for Hoosier Racing Tires. And uh, yet again, strikes home at, uh, you know, people that are at the highest risk, those over the age of 65, those with underlying conditions, uh, and all of us, whether we are in those categories or not, need to be aware because uh, this is far from over, my friend. For sure, Jack. As I go back, we just got to have to make sure we're being safe. 
Uh, and smart. So, yeah, smart. Social distancing. Yeah. You know, as you see so many people talking about, you know, they, they miss their friends, they miss family members, they, they want that interaction with people, but we got to be very careful and smart about this. On a lighter side, uh, I, it, <laughs> again, last week I uh, confessed to Simon Pagano that I was incorrect. So what does he do? He becomes the first virtual back-to-back IndyCar race winner by uh, taking down and backing up his Michigan victory uh, two weeks ago with a victory at Twin Ring Motegi. But let me be perfectly candid with you, all right? Now, you're not going to like this as a driver, but um, I, I think this resurgence of Simon Pagano is directly attributable to his engineer, Bretzman. I, I think... I, I think that this this dynamic duo in real world racing has tackled the uh, the virtual racing world, and um, now we're beginning to see them gel. And I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, of course, this weekend uh, it is Coda Circuit of the Americas, but uh, you know the the e racing and the six race IndyCar series uh, continues to march down. This is the next to last one, but based upon what I'm seeing. Uh, I'm kind of interested twofold. Uh, can Pagano do the three-peat this weekend? But more importantly, what is going to be the dealer's choice, the wild card event, uh, two weeks from now on Saturday? Well, first of all, I, I, I agree between Simon and his and engineer. Their, <laughs> their, their teamwork, and let's be perfectly honest, the effort of seven to eight hour days of practicing and, and getting everything right is working out well, but he got a little help from his teammates and a so-called lap car that Will Power might have called a wanker out there in uh, Oliver Askew trying to get his lap back. So right place, right time. You have to be in the right place to take advantage of somebody's mistake or misfortune, which is what Simon did. Scott Dixon overshot pit road. Had to back up. He was leading the race. So a couple of things had to kind of work out. Simon was going to finish fourth on outright speed, most likely. Uh, but you got to be there, right place, right time. So, yes, between Ben and Simon, their their teamwork right now was working out. But uh, old Scotty McLaughlin, Will Power, and more importantly, Oliver Askew, uh, they kind of helped open the door. And when that happened, Simon was there to uh, to go out there and take the victory get more champagne, and more importantly, celebrate with Norman one more time. But I I urge you to pump the brakes there, Dinger. You're speaking like a true driver, all right? Friend of mine, Dan Hawkins, former uh, college football coach, always had the adage, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a great Christmas. Doesn't matter how you win. It's the fact that you do win. Hey, Hey, Jack, let don't get me wrong. <laughs> I would celebrate the same way. I always I always joked around. People would be like, oh, would you, you know, if you had a range shortened win where you got handed the win, would you take it? Heck yeah, I would take it. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I mean, it the that whole esports team Penske right now, they have it going on. They figured it out. Yeah. Yes. And, and there's more behind them. And and certainly uh I want to get your vote or your your wish list. Not for this weekend, because it is CODA, and I think that's great. And uh, it, it kind of coincides with when we were scheduled to race at the Circuit of Americas. But uh, I, I, uh, if you had a vote for the, uh, the, the dream racetrack, uh, I've, I've heard PT 
and, and Townsend advocate for take the damn wings off these cars and let's go to Talladega. Uh, what uh, what would A.J. Allmendinger lobby for two weeks from Saturday? Well, first of all, when it comes to Coda, I think I just read Lando Norris, the Formula One driver, is is making an appearance with IndyCar, and he uh, he's going to give Simon a run for his money on hours spent <laughs> on the rig because I think Lando's on basically every day right now from morning, noon, night, back to morning. So he's going to be very quick there at Coda in the IndyCar. He does a lot of sim racing and multiple types of cars but if i had to pick my my racetrack i don't want to do talladega yeah it'd be fun to watch but they're going to be wide open it's going to be the draft and we're just going to sit there and wait for the wrecks to happen let's take it to these guys no no quick fixes no nothing let's go to bathurst let's do that i like that one and see who can manage the wall scotty mclaughlin would have the advantage because he's raced there before he races there on sim. He's very quick. But, yeah, I would love to see the IndyCars at Bathurst get after it. May, may I uh, throw a wild card into this mix? Let's go. Nuremberg ring. Oh. <laughs> Enough <laughs> said, right? Enough there said. you go. I like that, too. <laughs> I think even in a virtual world, <laughs> that would give many of these drivers pause. <laughs> okay? Yeah. You know. it, it may ruin some some uh, some of their relationships because they would just have to spend about 18 hours a day just learning the whole whole racetrack, let alone trying to go out there and be fast. Listen, uh, as you alluded to, uh, we're all navigating some new and uncharted waters with this COVID-19 situation. A lot of uh, places that aren't as afflicted by it as we are here in the Northeast. Uh, a lot of talk uh, about reopening. And specifically, the governor of uh, the state of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, this week said that he's advocating for um, for the uh, Texas Motor Speedway to uh, get after it and host some races uh, as early as June without spectators. And that led to what I thought was a fascinating posting by Eddie Gossage, who's going to join us on the other side of the break, um, saying that he would give due consideration to doubling down and having an IndyCar uh, NASCAR Cup doubleheader. Your thoughts? I mean, I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, it'd be unfortunate to run without fans, and, and we've spoken about this on the show, but I think that's what's going to have to happen, especially early on as we get back into motorsports uh, and in sports in general, just not having fans at the racetrack. But by doing that, you allow for so much more action during the weekend not only at Texas Motor Speedway, but just on television in general, uh, giving all of us something to watch. Uh, I think it could give it a kickstart. Uh, we already know that Xfinity and IndyCar are going to run at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway together, but this could really kickstart something we have talked about over the last year to year and a half now, and now with Roger Penske taking over IMS and IndyCar itself the possibility of doing double headers between NASCAR and IndyCar, which is something that we need to do because for so many years, I feel like it's been us versus them, whether it's NASCAR versus IndyCar, nobody wanted to kind of take the step down and say, Oh, maybe we're the Saturday race. Maybe we're the Sunday race, but this could be the kickstart to it really. And 
at Texas Motor Speedway. They put on great races, not only for IndyCar, but for NASCAR as well. So Eddie Gossage, he's the guy to promote it and make it happen for sure. He's the ringmaster. There's no question. He will join us on the other side. Also, during the course of our 60-minute Coco Clatch and Harmonica recital tonight, we'll be visiting with Chris Simmons, who has uh, spearheaded IndyCar's efforts to uh, contribute to uh, PPE, personal protection, or PPE, yeah, PPE equipment. Uh, and he'll explain to us a little bit about how they've taken CNC machines, 3D printers, and uh, he's marshaled all of his fellow engineers to uh, contribute face masks and some much-needed personal protection equipment for our frontline workers. And we'll also visit with Nate Ryan from NBC Sports to get a broad overview of what we are not only living through, but what it means down the road, because all of us keep looking at things and saying to ourselves, well, that sounds good. That schedule looks good. And then all of us, oh, cancel that. Let's move out. Before we go to break, I want to share with you and with our listeners, too, you want to stay right here on this channel after Brick by Brick had an absolutely phenomenal time on IndyCar Classics, reliving the 1992 Indianapolis 500. Yes, that's the one where Scott Goodyear finished second by the closest margin in history of the 500, four one-thousandths of a second. We talked to Scott, but more importantly, a long time old friend of mine who was celebrating his birthday this week, Al Unser Jr. and I reminisced and uh, gave a little bit more understanding to what is arguably, and not because I did it, but because it stayed as part of wide world of sports over through so many years. When that youngster, that toe-headed kid, a second-generation Unser family member, looked up in victory lane and with tears in his eyes said, Jack, you don't know what Indy means. It follows us, so don't go anywhere. Stay right here on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211. But coming up next, time for us to visit with the ringmaster. <laughs> That's the only way you can describe our next guest, Eddie Gossage. This is Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot. Coming up next. President of the Texas Motor Speedway, Eddie Gossett. As far as, as IndyCar is concerned, we've got, you know, America's original nighttime IndyCar race, the Genesis 600, coming up Saturday night, June 6th. They haven't planned or announced that far down the road, so we're planning as if we're going to have that race with a crowd and have to do that until told otherwise. Nate <laughs> Ryan, one of the hardest-working people Indeed. at NBC Sports, covering so many different motorsports avenues. We're hitting the brakes, but we'll be back on track after this. The Yakin Barak Show is your home for daily boxing coverage, but also brings you the biggest names in pop culture and entertainment. My pleasure to introduce CeeLo Green. Tune in to SiriusXM Fight Nation this Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for an A-list extravaganza featuring top comedians, actors, musicians, and more. We got the opportunity right now to have on the line Jeezy. The Yakin Barak A-list special airs only on your home for boxing, culture, and lifestyle. SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Listen at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. Hi, everyone. Jack Aroot here. Please join me tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time for IndyCar Classics, where we'll relive the 1992 Indianapolis 500, a race that is famous for the fierce battle in the closing laps as race winner Al Unser Jr. held off second place Scott Goodyear for the victory by .043 seconds. The closest finish in history, won by Little Al. Here's Jack. I spoke with Unser in the winner's circle then. 
and now, 28 years later, chatted with him about that memorable day at the Brickyard. Al Unser Jr., who came here in 1989, you heard it earlier, he says there comes a time during the course of a race when you don't care about whether you're going to live or die, what's most important is winning, and he has done it today, something that he has sought for so many years. The Indy 500 for me, watching my dad and my uncle Bobby have success there all of my life, really. That's all I ever dreamed about, it's all I ever thought about, was being able to race at the Indy 500. Welcome to Indianapolis 500 history. You finally got one. Thank you very much. It took me so long to win that race, you know. And everything turned around in 92. Nobody talked about your chances to win the Indy 500. Did you think you had a chance? No, not really. You know, Scott got a run on me. We were so close with each other. That last lap. It's very, very close. Let's see what happens. It's a two-car race. So now this is for the win all of a sudden. And all I kept praying for when I'd come off of turn two or come off of turn four, no lap traffic. Little Al will weave all over the straightaway, trying to keep Scott Goodyear away. I didn't want to see any cars in front of me at all because that was going to be the determining factor. But we were able to get to the checker. This is just a very moving victory lane, gentlemen. You did it, partner! <laughs> I just want to thank everybody, my, my crew, doing super pit stops and and everybody i tell you there sounds like there's some tears in your voice right now well you just don't know what indie means <laughs> i've seen that a lot I've, I've thought about it a lot and it was the question that you asked me it was the way that you asked it the only thing that came to my mind you just don't know what indie means it's life to me it's it's everything it's all wrapped up in one to catch the full interviews, be sure to tune in to IndyCar Classics tonight, coming your way at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM's Dan Patrick Radio, Channel 211. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick. Ah, welcome back to Brick by Brick. He is A.J. Almendinger. Of course, I'm Jack Aroot, and we make it a trio now as we're joined by, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, Lay it out there, Dinger. Probably the best definition of a true promoter. Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, you would see an 8 by 10 color photo of our next guest, uh, the president of the Texas Motor Speedway, Eddie Gossage. Eddie, how are you? Oh, well, great. And that's, that's a great compliment, but I wouldn't look up the picture. It's not, <laughs> not very appealing. So. <laughs> Hey, listen, you, you're you're right in the eye of the storm as things continue uh, to be awfully fluid in this battle against COVID-19. And before you joined us, I brought up the fact that your governor in the state of Texas, Rick Abbott, seems to be advocating to get parts of Texas uh, back in business and has at least come out and suggested uh, that Texas Motor Speedway get up and operational without fans your position in years of speedway motorsports about that idea well you know it, it's counterintuitive to the promoter you were just talking about absolutely to have an event without <laughs> fans but uh yeah governor greg abbott has been a, very enthusiastic in his support and uh you know the first step was uh you know would we have the support that we needed and so uh, he he obviously has been very supportive, as have all the other elected officials in the area. Uh, you know, the evening news that we all see um, is from New York. Uh, that's where it's produced, and that's where so much of this uh, story has kind of, uh, you know, unveiled itself. And the, the situation in New York is terrible, 
but that's not what we're experiencing here, and, and I don't think most of the country is experiencing anything near that level. Um, so, uh, you know, the governor thinks it's a great idea to let the world know that, you know, we're all slowly coming back and, and opening the doors to uh, life, although it'll be a little bit different than we used to know it, I think. Um, and, and this is one good way to do that. And, and then the other thing is that the governor, like so many of us, believes that uh, while sports isn't terribly important in the grand scheme of things, we're not curing cancer or anything vitally important like that, um, it, we have learned that it has a, a role, uh, and that's to provide color in everybody's black and white lives. And, and that's good for the American psyche. You know, I don't think any of us realize quite how black and white our lives were until we got into this uh, crisis, and we all are are you know, looking for diversions and a live sporting event on national television uh, would be a great way to, to give that diversion. So that's kind of where we are. And, and um, as far as, as IndyCar is concerned, we've got, you know, America's original nighttime IndyCar race, the Genesis 600 coming up Saturday night, June 6th. And as I said here today, uh, nobody's told us we, uh, any, any, you know, they haven't planned or announced that far down the road. So we're planning as if uh, we're going to have that race with a crowd and and have to do that until told otherwise. So uh, I think every day we get further down the road, though it's less and less likely. But, um, you know, that's that's what we'd like to see happen. So that's what we're working on. Well, Eddie, you know, speaking on that with the IndyCar race, you came out and said recently is a couple of days ago about possibly – an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader that weekend. And as NASCAR kind of tries to figure out what their schedule is going to be and which direction they're going to go and where they're even going to reopen their season, you spoke about having the doubleheader there. And what are the benefits to that? And are there negatives also? Well, um, I'm sure there's some negatives I haven't thought of. For instance, I know with the NASCAR races of late, uh, we've used the traction compound on the racetrack in the turns. And I don't know, uh, I don't know the position of IndyCar on doing that. So uh, it, those kinds of things have to be addressed. But bottom line is, is, is that if we're going to uh, reschedule, well, we obviously are rescheduling the NASCAR race that was supposed to have been run back in March here at Texas. To me, there's a certain you know synergy of budgets for instance, to run them both uh, the, the NASCAR races and the IndyCar race on the same weekend, whether that, you know, th that's what works best, best for us at Texas Motor Speedway. And NASCAR is sitting there saying, we've got eight races to reschedule. They may not be terribly concerned about what I want. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm realistic about that too. Now I got to go back, gosh, 20 some odd years. I've talked to NASCAR over and over and over about a you know an IndyCar Cup doubleheader, and I've talked to, for 20 plus years to all the various administrations I've dealt with at IndyCar about the idea, you know. So it's not a it's not a new idea that we've pitched, but through necessity, uh, certainly they've got it scheduled for Indianapolis Motor Speedway in August. Um, you know, I, I hopefully that you, you know everybody has always said. Yeah, we we could do that, and and it it's going to take three. It's going to take IndyCar, NASCAR, and Television Network to do that. So as I talked to 
Mark Miles, as I talked to Mike Helton and, and Steve Phelps, as I've talked to Sam Flood at NBC, they all like it. And you go, okay, well, great. This should be easy. Let me get us all together. Well, I don't know if we get together. I, well, let's get on a phone call together. Yeah, I'm busy that day. You know, it's like they're almost afraid to have the conversation because they know they'll wind up doing it. And there's just a little bit of resistance to, oh, you mean, you mean for real? So, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes. But, uh, but now that it's happening for sure at Indianapolis, and perhaps it'll happen here in Texas in June, uh, maybe they'll make it easier to do this on an annual basis. Eddie, there, there's no question that trying to, as you just alluded to, trying to bring all the parties involved together, it's like herding cats. But I wonder, because you're a pretty forward, proactive individual, what do you predict the new normal in the short term is going to be for people in your position as a track operator, for sanctioning bodies, but most importantly for fans? You know, Jack, that's a tough one because, you know, I can sit here and say, well, we've got a big place. So, you know, we've got 135,000 seats. We'll sell 60,000 tickets and that gives people room to, Mm -hmm. you know, spread out. Um, But I don't think they're going to do that for the Michigan-Ohio State game. I'm pretty certain they won't do that for Duke, Carolina, when we get to basketball season. I'm 100% certain that the guy that owns a football team across town here from mm-hmm. us uh, isn't going to do it with the Cowboys. Uh, they're going to try to sell the place out. So it's going to be interesting as we go forward is, is what's the appropriate and normal thing to do. You know, I, I tend to think because American people are, are very forgiving uh, is that in short order, they'll, they'll go back to life as we knew it before. We'll see. It just, you know, it depends on the vaccine and, and things of that nature that I don't pretend to know anything about. Uh, but uh, if we have a vaccine, you know, we, we don't uh, do social distancing for um, uh, smallpox. And, and that was a deadly virus for the world. And uh, we don't even think about it today. And so hopefully soon uh, we won't even be thinking about this either. Eddie, a question I always kind of had in mind and Unfortunately, I was never able to actually get into Victory Lane to celebrate with you. But to me, Texas Motor Speedway's always had one of the most one of the coolest, most fun victory lanes. And every victory lane's fun, don't get me wrong. But probably yeah, one of the most special are, victory they? lanes possible. Where did did you come up with that? Where did that tradition start? Uh obviously Texas, you got six shooters, but it's something I always saw either at the NASCAR race and and was sad as I drove out of the racetrack not being there or <laughs> watching the IndyCar race for sure. But Victory Lane is is a special place at Texas Motor Speedway. Well, I appreciate that, AJ. And next time you're here, call me and I'll meet you down there. We'll go through the, <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll, we'll have some fun. We'll but, take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll be honest, I got to thinking, and I've had so many different ideas through the years about Victory Lane. Uh, One time I had this mission idea in my head, you know, like the mission looks like the Alamo, uh, and it didn't quite work out. So I was just uh, just trying to come up with ideas, and uh, somebody, and I honestly don't know, said, well, we ought to have cowboy hats. Well, sure, that's that's a given. Why don't we think of that from the beginning? And again, I don't know who. It could have been me. It could have been somebody else. In fact, now that I think about it, I think it was me that said the six shooters. But I could be wrong, I, you know, because I'll take credit for all the good ideas. So somebody, you know, six shooters came from someplace. But the rest of it, like the flames, the flame bar across the top of Victory Lane, 
I was, I don't know what hit me, but I'm thinking about, you know, the scene from the Terminator where uh, Schwarzenegger is fighting the other guy and they're inside this. It actually is the site of uh, California Speedway, Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana. Uh, was this plant where they shot this scene, but uh, Schwarzenegger's fighting this guy and there's, you know, wires dangling that are sparking and, and you know, it's a dark uh, old factory. And I started playing with an idea there and and uh, somebody said, yeah, I don't think having dangling wires with sparks, you know, sparking is a safe thing for Victory Lane. And uh, one thing led to another and uh, I don't know, the flames hit me. And so uh, we did that. And, and, you know, what's funny is fans would go, man, that looks so cool. You know, how do you do that, though? Because, uh, you know, you, you got it would seem like that would be hot. And I go, it is hot. It's hot as heck in Victory Lane. So, you know, but it's, it's, it's just something unusual. And I like doing things different. And I like doing things that are visual. So it's fun. Give that driver, you know, it's almost like they don't care about the paycheck. Uh, they want that cowboy hat and those six shooters and that picture of them firing away with the flames and all that kind of stuff in the background. So the, the fact that you know it and love it is is an example of that's just what we were looking for. So good to know it, AJ. Appreciate that. Heck and yeah, call man. me when you get here. I we'll will. go down there. We'll do, hey, we'll hey listen, fun. Eddie, I, I subscribe to the same theory you do of, you know, take credit whether you did it or not, okay, because you're the president. <laughs> but I, I am going to point out to you that probably – the most memorable moment in, in victory lane. I like yeah. to believe you did not have anything to do with it. And that is when Ari Lyon Dyke and AJ Foyt with an age discrepancy of about 40 years decided to uh, get into a cat fight. Well, and also uh, Ari gave up about 60 pounds to uh, AJ as well. So easy. Now you know. he's a Texan. He'll come <laughs> after you. <laughs> and, I will tell you for a big guy, he's pretty quick. Cause I saw him coming and I was, like I need to stop this, and before I could get there, he was on Ari, and and it was on. So, <laughs> listen, yeah. we're glad yeah. you're safe. It's fun. It's been enjoyable to visit with you and get a perspective of what this continuing moving target presents in terms of using the appropriate language challenges. I hate that word uh, that you yeah. as a as a, a track operator face, and wish you nothing but the very best, and hopefully. In the very near future, we'll be able to meet in person. Thanks for joining us on Brick by Brick. Look forward to seeing both you guys. I love IndyCars, and the thing I want the most is to run the Genesis 600 Saturday night, June 6th, with the crowd on hand and, and NBC broadcasting the race and have another photo finish like we seem to always have with the, the IndyCar series. So um, got our fingers crossed. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate you guys. This is Brick by Brick, and I'm Jack Arute, along with A.J. Allmendinger. Joining us now from NBC Sports, and uh, he provides a broad overview of the world of motorsports, but we're going to drill down specifically into the IndyCar landscape with our next guest, Nate Ryan. Nate, um, thanks so much for joining us, and a quick update. You and your family are well, and you're, uh, you're surviving this self-imposed quarantine? We are surviving. I appreciate you asking, Jack. Uh, we're doing well. And uh, in many ways, even though there's no racing on the track, I've, I've never felt busier because uh, there's just so much news. Uh, even though it's not all great news, uh, there's a lot of things to do for NBCSports.com. Nate, I miss your, uh, your sport coat. You know, so, you know that, Nate would always put the sport coat on for NASCAR America. So I miss seeing that. Hopefully, 
get to see you uh, soon. But speaking on that landscape, how has this virus and, and what we're going through in this pandemic right now really been affecting the teams and drivers? Obviously, there's the schedule changes, and that's always a moving target. But as you speak to these, these drivers and teams, specifically, how is it really changing what they're having to do? I think that it's obviously affected their daily routines, AJ, and that um, they suddenly have downtime that, they, as you well know, they would never have during the course of, say, NASCAR 36-week schedule or IndyCar, the, the several months that they run. And they filled a lot of that void with iRacing, obviously. And you know, when I talk about things that are keeping us busy right now, uh, you know, maybe for some people, some fans, it's it's not what they really want because you know I've heard people refer to it as fake racing, but it's it's keeping narratives alive. Uh, it's keeping sponsors and teams and drive our, drivers uh, irrelevant and in the spotlight, giving them exposure. Roger Penske um, said that on Mike Tirico's show, Lunch Talk Live on NBCSN last week about how he really views iRacing. It's it's great because it it, it fuels the competitive fire that drivers have and even some engineers at Team Penske have they're, they're helping out their drivers to win but it's also really bottom lining it it's it's helping sponsors stay in the spotlight and teams stay relevant as as Roger Penske put it so I, I feel like that's been the bulk of it AJ is just a lot of eye racing and a lot of wondering I think about when the real racing will return. Nate, I find it fascinating, though, because, look, we've all enjoyed it because in the beginning, uh, we had just crossed the Sahara and we were parched. So uh, iRacing, we kind of embraced it. We accepted the, the, the net coding and, and some of the craziness that goes with the virtual world. And, and I, too, listened to Tariko's uh, uh, interview with Roger. But I, I just kind of wonder out loud, have we, have we burned the wick down on the iRacing candle to the point where we're going to have to reinvent it or repackage it to sustain this if this goes any further and any longer? Yeah, I think you're right on that front, Jack. And I think, you know, Penske alluded to that in that interview yeah. that he felt like there was going to be a saturation point that would be reached where, as he said, you know, it's great to have Dale Jr. in the IndyCar race, but we can't have Dale Jr. in every IndyCar race and get fans confused. There needs to be differentiation, distinction, and there needs to be a little bit of cutback in supply. And uh, I had Parker Kligerman on um, a podcast that, that's up today on NASCAR NBC uh, talking about this, I mean, Parker's an avid racer, but he says that's that's one of the downsides is that it's so open and there's so much room for originality and creativity that it gets hard to create those lines between, okay, what's the professional category and what's, you know, the real amateur level. And I think there is a danger of that. And I think, you know, NASCAR hit that last week, I think with Richmond, where there were a lot of politics involved. And I think it, in some ways fans might've viewed it as more trouble than it's worth. I think the race was good, but the lead up up to, up to the race, there weren't as many positive storylines. I think IndyCar though has done a really good job with the iRacing challenge and that it's not tracking exactly with the IndyCar season. They're going to different tracks like Michigan, like twin ring Motegi. They're bringing in drivers that, um, you know, you wouldn't normally see in IndyCar fields like Jimmy Johnson, like Kyle Busch, like Dale Jr. So, uh, I think there's there's an avenues for it, but your point's well taken, Jack. I think I think there can be too much. Well, speaking specifically on the NTT IndyCar series, Nate, I mean you you've been a longtime IndyCar fan. Your first race was Long Beach, 1996, 
Jack, you uh, you might remember that race because you were quite busy, if I remember correctly, because mm-hmm. there were a lot of wrecks, <laughs> a lot of pissed off drivers, a lot of storylines. Jimmy Vassar ended up winning that race. So, Nate, is that kind of where your passion for IndyCar racing started? Has it always been there growing up as a kid? Yeah, no, um, I grew up in the Midwest primarily, AJ. I moved around a little bit, but I spent enough time in, in the Midwest to sort of develop an appreciation for the Indy 500. But I don't think I ever really understood it uh, because I never got to experience it firsthand. So you're right. Like that 1996 Long Beach race was my first full immersion in IndyCar and really auto racing in general. And I fell in love with it. I mean, obviously, that was a different era, a different time. It's hard to explain to people what hospitality was like in 1996 at the peak of sponsor dollars and cart where even if you were like a backmarker team, I mean, no offense to Cal Wells, but like I remember Arcerio Wells' hospitality, like that was where they competed (laughs) because they weren't going to do well on track. (laughs) But like their Seabass was going to be really, really competitive compared to like Newman Haas or or Penske or or whoever. Uh, And just like that was an intoxicating atmosphere. And it was it it felt like the event that it always has been, that Long Beach always has been and still is uh, to this day, sadly not this year. But um, yeah, that race was a great one, too. I remember. Vassar won after Gilles DeFerrin dominated the race for, for Walker Racing. And that was my first experience with understanding that a five-cent part, as they described it, broke with like four laps to go, and that cost DeFerrin the victory. So it was, it was a full experience in education and racing. Uh, Dinger, Nate's being very, very kind because when he and I have visited before on some of these SiriusXM platforms, he prefaced it always by saying, yeah, I loved IndyCar racing. I grew up watching you on TV. <laughs> So uh, I do appreciate, Nate, that you uh, dispensed with that to make me feel old. Uh, before we let you go, I, I do want to pose a question to you. Try and look ahead. Look in, look in Nate Ryan and NBC Sports crystal ball. When we finally emerge from this, how do you think the IndyCar world specifically and the motorsports world in general may have been altered, not only for the short term, but for the long term? I think for the long term, Jack, I mean, there's already been an ongoing sort of reset, maybe more so on the NASCAR side than the IndyCar side. But I I think that will continue, uh, Mm -hmm. that financial reset, that economic reset. I hope that IndyCar is a little better protected because it it seemed as if they were kind of on the upswing a little bit more and sort of had had weathered a lot of that economic storm several years ago. But, um, you know, if I'm IndyCar, certainly I'm looking – toward the future here and wondering like there was all this talk about adding another manufacturer you know does that still happen and I don't know if we have clarity on that I mean certainly having Roger Penske involved in that series as the owner changes the game a lot but you know I I think that IndyCar I think is is secure enough and it's got the Indy 500 and presuming that everything goes off the way we're expecting over the next few months um, that's still a good bedrock to lay your foundation on. But, I, you know, there's, there's just, there's so many unknowns and it's hard to sit here in, in late April and predict where it'll be, but um, I'm optimistic. Are you going to have any rest once motorsports starts? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Nate Ryan, one of the hardest working people Indeed. at NBC Sports covering so many different motorsports avenues. Will you get any rest? Or are you just taking it all in right now? Because you're not going to have any once racing starts back up. I don't want to say I work any harder than the guy who does IMSA, IndyCar, and NASCAR broadcasting <laughs> and drives a sports car as well, AJ Allmendinger, the hardest working man probably at NBC Sports Group. Definitely harder working than me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get some rest in here and there now because 
I think once this gets going and I think we're seeing the ice start to thaw a little bit and it looks like late next month, NASCAR could get in the swing of things. You're right, AJ. I mean, our tongues are going to be wagging for the next several months, but I think we're all looking forward to it at this point, or at least we say so right now, right? <laughs> How many events do you think we will witness whenever this shortened season starts that'll be combos, i.e., as we spoke to Eddie Gossage earlier, right. uh, the possibility of having IndyCar and NASCAR join forces to try and deliver to the fans, to sponsors, to teams, a sustainable number of events so that they can remain profitable. I mean, that's a great silver lining, Jack, is that Roger Penske had been talking about that really since he took over at IndyCar. And now, unfortunately, because of the situation involved, um, it's, it's forced NASCAR and IndyCar to get more collaborative. It's, it's good because I think it's what everybody wanted to see. It's just sad for, for the circumstances. But you know, to answer your question, like I think obviously we're going to see it hopefully at Indianapolis in July with the Xfinity race and the IndyCar Grand Prix. I think you're right, Texas and I know you guys had it on any Gossage, and he seems optimistic about making that happen in June. I think you could see it in a couple more places. I'm, I'm hearing Iowa could be a possibility. Uh, I, I think there'll be a few more tracks where you, you probably will see that this year. Listen, stay safe. And, uh, you know, they do have Instacart where you live <laughs> to where you could get some shaving cream because uh, <laughs> you, you do look a little different with a COVID-19 self-quarantine beard. It's, it's my quarantine look, Jack. And, you know, to, to AJ's point, you know, I, I don't feel like I can wear the sport coat while I'm not clean shaven. So I just went with the NBC Sports Police. So once I get rid of this, AJ, I promise the sport coat will be back and we'll be on, on NASCAR America set together again. I don't, hopefully. I don't know, Jack. I think you need to leave the stash. The stash <laughs> yeah, I like the stash. Right now. Yeah. yeah, leave the stash. All right. Because at least, that that's, at least that's filled in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it, let's put it this way. It's like us trying to prognosticate what's going to be happening. There's a lot of gaps in that beard. <laughs> Nothing wrong hey, with thanks. that, Jack. No, thanks so much for joining us. Be safe, and we all look forward to visiting with you real soon. Thanks for having me, guys. When we come back, we are going to uh, visit with an individual that uh, actually is overseeing NTT IndyCar team's efforts at uh, trying to provide personal protection equipment on the front lines as we battle this COVID-19 virus. Coming up next. Chip Ganassi Racing's Christopher Simmons. It's not just our IndyCar team, it's our NASCAR team too. And uh, Chip and all of our partners have been super supportive all along the way. But I think really early on, we realized there was going to be some needs in the community and we weren't going to be racing. And some of our prototyping and quick reaction machine time could be useful to uh, help fill some of these gaps. So we, we looked at a whole bunch of different projects. We even got involved with some ventilator stuff. This is Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport, and Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. And you believe it! In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, Anfield has erupted! Bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick. AJ, earlier in the show, you mentioned the fact that it's like Groundhog Day. Every day looks the same. Sometimes you have to have a little diversion. And our next guest uh, came up very early on with a way to not only provide diversion, 
but also to provide an, a, an opportunity for IndyCar teams to do something constructive. We're talking to uh, Chip Ganassi Racing's uh, uh, Christopher Simmons, who, Chris, you, uh, you put together very early on in this uh, an opportunity to take some of the things that are part and parcel to uh, a race team and uh, change them over to meet a need for personal protection equipment. Thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's, it's not just our IndyCar team. It's our NASCAR team, too. And uh, uh, Chip and all of our partners have been super supportive all along the way. But I think, uh, I think really uh, early on, uh, we realized that there was, there was going to be some needs in the community and we weren't going to be racing. And that, uh, some of our prototyping and, and quick reaction machine time could be useful to uh, help fill some of these gaps. So we, we looked at a whole bunch of different projects um, we even got involved with some ventilator stuff and, and, uh, and it kind of, we kind of realized that we weren't gonna be able to make a dent, uh, soon enough in that, in that arena. Um, but we were able to get into making some, uh, personal protection equipment, some face shields, uh, and some intubation hoods to, to help the, uh, people on the front lines. Do you have a set number that you make per day, per week? And when you get done, where do all these get distributed at? That was one of the challenges that all along the line, finding the raw materials and sourcing them uh, has been has been a problem because everybody's supply chain's been uh, been disrupted. But we're making uh, 100 to 150 a week in the mm-hmm. indie shop of the of the face shields, and we're up to about 20 of the of the intubation hoods. And those those kind of look like a upside down fish tank with some hand holes for the doctors to go in and do the intubations, and then uh, one of the sides is cut out for the patient's body to go out. So it's you, you put kind of a clear shield over the patient's uh, head and neck. So when doctors do the intubation, the uh, sputum and stuff gets contained within that box and doesn't contaminate uh, the room and the, uh, and the other people that are around as much. You think there's just one doctor doing it. There's always a nurse assisting. Come to find out there's a speech therapist that's usually there uh, in case something goes, goes wrong or in case there's any assistance needed. Uh, you know, they're a vocal cord specialist. So there's, there's a whole team of people in, in there when these uh, intubations are happening trying to to uh, save people's lives, and we're we're doing everything we can to help protect those frontline workers. We're certainly proud of what they're doing to help support our communities, and we're trying to give back uh, what little we can to help them. Our NASCAR team's also been printing face face shields down at their shop. Um, the distribution's been a, a few different channels. Some of it's grassroots; people know nurses and doctors and have connections. Uh, but we've also worked uh, in Indiana through the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation put together a COVID-19 response program for all the businesses in Indiana. And we've been able to work through them on some distribution. Um, and proud to say that we were able to deliver over 100 face shields straight to uh, IU Methodist at one point. You know, mm-hmm. IU Methodist has a, uh, has a great history with the Speedway and with IndyCar Racing. Um, we were able to distribute those uh, to them and they got deployed to their uh, emergency department and also to their uh, bone marrow department to help the doctors and nurses down there. So you know, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what's needed, but it's helped fill the gap while their supply chains disrupted. And uh, they were certainly happy to have them and it gave us something to do and uh, something that was productive uh, in this fight. Chris, I find it interesting. And look, we've heard an awful lot about, you know, sourcing uh, the raw materials necessary, but leave it to engineers. Leave it because you guys do think differently. Uh, I'd be interested in how you gathered the data and information necessary to be able to come up and design things. A face shield I get, but intubation hoods get a little bit more complex. So uh, how did you source the info for that? 
there were some designs available online. We looked at those and we looked at some of the needs. We had some connections to anesthesiologists. I, one of my college roommates happens to be an anesthesiologist up in Boston, uh, actually in the Providence area now, but uh, we're able to just gather some information through networking and brainstormed it around. And we've tried to fit the capabilities we have with what we can produce and what can make the most impact. So uh, the NASCAR team is making a slightly different design of face shield than what we're making. They've got some different tools down there um, and they've done some distribution to the local hospitals and also to friends uh, and families. Uh, one of the guys is from the, the Tennessee area and they've done some, they've shipped some parts out to uh, to one of the hospitals and to some friends there. And, you know, we're just, just doing everything we can to uh, to support the people on the front lines uh, in, the, in this fight against COVID-19. I can't say enough about how our partners, uh, not not just chip but certainly chip but all of our other uh, other partners ntt pnc uh, husky chocolate mcdonald's first data they've all just been so supportive of these these efforts and uh, they're calling us for updates on them now mm-hmm. now they know we're doing it so they're uh, very proud of what we've been able to do and happy to help support in any way they can chris do you think this is something that as whenever it happens, when the race season starts back up for the, the IndyCar and the NASCAR teams, something that your organization will continually keep trying to do or between the race team and, and everything that you guys have to focus on, will it just be too much to try to do both? Uh, it's something we could continue for sure. It's looking like the supply chain on the hospital side is starting to pick back up. Um, but it's going to be a while before that's all fully back going. We've had calls even from dentist office looking, hey, can we get some of your face shields. It looks like your design would fit uh, with the uh, with the glasses with the lights on that we need when, when we go back to work. So, um, you know, a lot of the dentist's office have contributed their PPE to the hospitals and, and doctors. So there's still going to be some needs down the line as long as we can get the raw materials, which is looking pretty good right now. Some of our partners in town have been real good about uh, getting the polycarbonate to make the, the clear parts of the face shields that we need. The NASCAR guys, we've gone back and forth with them and, and on some different designs. And we've both used some of our some of our partners' tools, you know, Siemens, uh, to do some mods, some of the designs we found to make them easier to manufacture and also uh, more effective. So, um, yeah, this is something we could continue into the season. Obviously, we'll have less time to devote to it as we go along. And the supply chain for the hospitals and doctors and, and dentists and nurses and everybody is, is going to pick up and, and fill those gaps. Um, you know, we, we can't make millions of these things like the real supply chain can, but we can fill this gap in the meantime. Listen, kudos to you and the entire brigade that's behind this. And uh, we appreciate it. And I know frontline workers do likewise. We wish you nothing but the very best. Want you to stay safe. And like all of us, continue to do our part, whatever it may be, to help fight this COVID-19 virus. Yeah, thank you very much. We just can't say enough to uh, enough thanks to all those people uh, on the front lines fighting this and um, happy to do our little part. Well, AJ, that puts a bow on today's uh, get-together that we call Brick by Brick. Quick reminder to everybody, stay right where you are, because coming up next, it's the 1992, Jack, you don't know what indie means, 500, well, one by Al Unser Jr., our guest will be, little Al, as well as Scott Goodyear. A quick reminder, as we continue to fight against the COVID-19 virus, keep the doctors, nurses, medical personnel, first responders, and all our frontline workers, people at grocery stores, et cetera, in your thoughts and your prayers. Thanks to our guests, Eddie Gossage, Nate Ryan, and Chris Simmons. Reminder that SiriusXM's director of sports program is Andy King. IndyCar Classics producer is Nate Lee. So until next week, I'm Jack Root. For A.J. Almendinger, thank you for spending time with us. <laughs>